Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Now, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Uh, this can be found on page 374 in the Bibles in your pews. Uh, this week, we're beginning our series in Judges. Uh, Judges is a book, I feel like when I talk to a lot of people about it, uh, they kind of maybe vaguely know stories of, of Samson or, or Ehud or Deborah or JL. Uh, these, these names are kind of familiar to us, um, but likely we haven't spent that much time with it since hearing those stories in Sunday school. Um, often the, these stories are portrayed where these judges are the heroes. Uh, but we'll find when we take a look later on in the series at some of these judges that their lives, too, are, are quite messy and not quite the people that we want to be emulating. These judges, uh, or the story of judges, centers around a different central character, and that's the character of God who carries us through, much like what we saw in the book of Acts. And also, like the book of Acts, Judges is quite long. It's over 20 chapters. So we're just going to be dropping in on a couple of different stories. And this week, we'll very much be giving this broader look at what, the, at what Judges has in store as the introduction sets us up to look at what the rest of the book will have. We're going to be dropping in on a few stories, particularly that help us in directing ourselves towards the cross. Uh, help us anticipate the true king and the true savior. Uh, so before our reading this morning, uh, let's come before God in prayer. Through your word, O Holy Spirit, bring us closer to our savior. And in response, triune God, prompt our hearts to offer you sincere thanks for our thanksgiving, or for our salvation. In the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Judges 2, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs. And in his anger against the Lord, gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom were no longer able to resist. 
Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to do to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. They would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to the other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of their hands of the enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than that of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. The word of the Lord. So I don't know if this is a common thing for everyone, but uh, when I'm a little extra busy, a little stressed, uh, something that I can end up doing is starting to clean things. Uh, my old housemates always knew when I had like an exam or a major paper due because suddenly I'd be like in my closet just like organizing my clothes by color or something. Now, this could kind of sound like procrastination, that I was just trying to find something as an excuse to do, but I think there's something deeper going on because if I was just looking for something to distract me, I could find a lot better things, more entertaining things to do than cleaning up. I think part of this is because when our minds are all kind of, they feel cluttered and stressed, it's helpful to at least see order around us. It helps alleviate some of that anxiety or that restlessness that we feel. In the midst of, of something unmanageable, it's great just to come to something that we can manage, something I, I can do that, I can fold clothes. I, a lot of practice in that one, so I can do that. And this is still true today. Um, I still find myself sometimes doing a deep clean of my study, and Elisa will come in and say, like, didn't you say you had a lot to do this week? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, look at me, I'm cleaning, getting stuff done. Messy people, merciful God is the title for our series. And messiness is an image that I want to sit with for the next few weeks. Today, I want us to be able to consider the feelings that come alongside messiness, the clutter, that anxiety, that restlessness that we feel. It can be okay to live in the midst of a certain amount of disorder, but at some point, we, we want to have things ordered around us. We want to see things get into their proper place. We know what it means to be in messy situations. Uh, it's not just about exams or, or papers or those sorts of things, but there's all sorts of things that, that bring our anxiety levels up a little bit whether it's masks or trucker rallies or Russia and Ukraine, vaccines, changes in our perspectives on sexuality, opinions on our government, or maybe it's family feuds or, or trying to balance family life and work. 
as a community, we know all of these outside pressures that we have that affect us in our messiness. We know the feeling that it produces, just trying to sort things out, wanting to have something that we can have control of. And messiness isn't just captured by what's happening outside in the world, uh, but messiness can also be something that explains what's going on inwardly. It happens within. So like behind, behind me here on this board, we have a bunch of handprints. And we talked about how sins bind us individually. We're invited this week to think about how our individual choices, the things that we do or that we don't do on any given day, gets us into messy situations. We create messes. We get that, the grime of sin uh, on, on our hands. And the things that we touch get, get messy and, and dirty too. Sin has a way of spreading and going out into the world around us. In our time of confession this morning, I wonder what types of things that you thought of as you were invited to think of our own messiness. Uh, perhaps we thought of our tendency towards pride, how we spend too much time thinking about ourselves and so much time that we don't necessarily see the needs of others around us. Maybe we forget to listen to the people around us because we already know that our perspective is the right one. Or maybe in your reflections you, you thought of something else. Maybe you thought back to some regrets that you might have. Maybe you regret how you treated someone in high school. You regret a decision that you made in raising children. Maybe you're someone who replays conversations in your head where you said something, perhaps, that you would like to take back. You find yourself thinking back to relationships that have been falling apart and you don't know how to resolve them, how to bring them back together. This is all part of what is the messiness of our lives. We have messiness in the world around us. We have messiness inwardly. We feel it. It's that uneasy, restless feeling something that makes us want to put stuff in their proper place. So we're a messy people. If, if only we had some sort of resource that was made specifically for messy people. If only there was some book out there that was about and for messy people. Of course, we have, we have the Bible. And, and this book, I think as we've said before, this isn't just, it's not for people who are put together. This isn't a book that says that there are no messes allowed. If you think that's what's in here, then you're going to be mightily surprised uh, when we get to the book of Judges and you read all the way through here. These aren't clean and tidy stories. In this book, you'll find covenant people actually worshiping other gods. They shut up these Asherah poles. They're, they're literally bowing down and worshiping other gods right after coming into the promised land. You'll find all sorts of gruesome details in here. Uh, within the third chapter, we have Ehud kind of sneakily getting into the king's chamber and, and killing him with the sword. We have the next chapter, J.L. driving a tent peg through someone's head Jephthah is killed by a woman throwing a millstone over a wall onto his head. 
And all of that happens in the first half of Judges. That's before it gets really messy. There's a lot of stuff in here. The story is also about this constant rebellion against God, where people enslave themselves to the idols around them, and each time God responds and God saves. And this is repeated over and over again. And if that, that repetition isn't enough, things get worse as time goes on. They're on this downward spiral. If there was a good image to represent the book of Judges, it is that each time a new judge comes, things get worse and worse and worse. They're, the sin that they're embedded in into their whole society just spreads and spreads and infects them deeper and deeper. Uh, this shows up in our passage today in verse 19, where it's giving a summary. It's, it's pointing us towards what the rest of Judges is going to have. And it says, when the judge died, the people returned to their ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And the remarkable thing in the midst of this is that each time the people call out to God, God responds and sends his rescue. So we, we were just in chapter 2 there, just to look at chapter 3 for a moment and how this plays out in the midst of, what is this, seven verses here from verse 7 through 14. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then... Right afterwards, when they cry out to God, God raises up for them a deliverer. Right after that, the Israelites do evil in the eyes of the Lord again. And again, the Israelites cry out to the Lord and gives them a deliverer. And if you're reading through the book of Judges, you're going to find that, that same phrase intentionally repeated over and over again. Not only seeing that our own tendency towards messiness, but also how merciful our God is. No matter how, thing, how out of hand things get throughout the book of Judges, no matter how messy and chaotic things seem in the world around them, God shows that he is still in control. He has the power to send a deliverer time and time again. And more than that, God's mercy is such that he is willing to send a deliverer. Even when the people go deeper and deeper into their sin, God continues to send the deliverer to the people that he loves. So what does it mean for us? Uh, one thing that we can take away as we prepare ourselves for the upcoming weeks is remembering that in any time, in any age, there will always be people stuck in a mess. Whether it's navigating the mess of the world, like, for instance, uh, looking at Ukraine and the news around that, or navigating the mess within us, we have comfort in knowing that the Bible is written for and about messy people. We have a God who is abundantly merciful and in full control. Let's take a moment to remind yourself of that. Whatever your regrets might be, whatever mess you think the world is in right now, 
the messiness of the people and of the world has never been, nor will it ever be, too much for God to handle. There is no mess too severe to be beyond God's redeeming. The more we see the messiness of Israel and judges, the deeper that we can appreciate the merciful God. So I began by talking about um, cleaning out the, the closet or folding my laundry when I had an exam. Uh, that note about there's, there's something about this, this restlessness that messiness brings. It brings this feeling within us. It fuels our anxiety. It fuels our restlessness. For the remainder of the message then for today, I want to look at these two words, rest and restless. The word rest in the Bible comes up quite a bit. Uh, it has a deeper biblical significance. Try to think back to the first time that rest shows up in the Bible. It comes up right in that first creation story on day seven. God creates, he orders creation. He names that it is good over and over again. And on that last day, God inhabits it. It's like this big cosmic temple that is bringing praise to God, and he rests it in it. And that, that rest isn't just some big nap that God is taking after being so tired from the other six days. This rest, as we've talked about before, is living into the world as it should be. It is entering into this big temple that has just been created, a place of God's dwelling, so that this blessing can enter into all of creation. Rest is a key word for experiencing the wholeness intended for God's creation. Now, our reading today, looking back to verse 6 of chapter 2 in Judges, began with the mention of Joshua. Uh, Joshua shows up in Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2. His name comes up several times because this is where we are in the big story of God's redemption. So we, we have Israel being led out of Egypt, they spend time in the wilderness, and then under Moses, and then the next person to lead them is Joshua, and right after Joshua, we have the story and the stories that we're going to be working with. In Joshua, rest is repeated 18 times. It's repeated again and again because this is the hope of the people entering into the promised land. Joshua 1 verse 13 says, Remember the commands that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Rest is attached to the land. It's, it's part of the goal of the people. Rest is not just a perpetual nap, but it's things being in harmony. It's planting fields and harvesting them. When, when Israel's at war, it is said that they are not at rest. They need to be in a space of peace and harmony, not just with themselves, but with the people around them. Rest means stability, celebrating with one another, experiencing the wholeness that we are created for. This is the biblical picture for rest. And this should leave us, when we, when we finish the book of Joshua, 
coming into the book of Judges, we should just be really hopeful for these people that they're going to capture this vision of rest as they enter into that promised land. Even that title that is given for Israel as the promised land should, should have us thinking about what they're expecting in living there. This isn't just any land that they acquire through conquering. It is a land that was part of a bigger promise, a promise not simply that they would have a place to live, but they would be free to be God's people in that land. It was a promise where they could find their true rest. They were to live in the harmony that creation was made for. This was to be a second Eden in a way. They were to be centered around God's presence in the tabernacle, and they were to spread that goodness to the rest of the world in the way that they lived as God's chosen people. So Judges begins, and if we're following the story of Israel, through Exodus, Moses' leadership, to Joshua, into the entrance of the promised land, we should be hoping for that rest and to help us understand this image just a little bit more, I want to give a couple images. And this comes from a commentary on Judges by Laura Smith, a professor at Calvin University. And she describes Israel as going through an apprenticeship program to be God's good people. I tried my best to draw a Moses-like character here. Um, the first part of God's people's story after leaving Egypt is that they go to school under Moses. Moses is kind of looked at as this great teacher, teaching them the law. So God brings the law down, and they have to learn it. And it's not just four years of college here. They spend 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years learning to trust in God so that they can live into that rest when they get to that promised land. Next, we have the apprenticeship program. Uh, under Joshua, Israel's like an apprentice. They are, they're finally entering into that land, and they still have a leader guiding them through. They have Joshua reminding them, this is how you are to live as you come into that land. They're feeling things out while they're there, getting a, space, getting a sense of what their work will look like. And finally, we get to Judges. This is the place where they're in that full adulthood. They're, they're ready to live this out, and yet we find that they completely fail time and time again. Rather than flourishing, they worship other gods and oppress one another. Rather than entering into the true rest and true flourishing of the promised land, they find themselves in a downward spiral. Again, over and over again, they find themselves in that pattern that we find uh, in Genesis chapter 3. There's uh, curses that God speaks that come alongside the sin of Adam and Eve. And that spiral of sin we, unravels further and further out into creation. And here, where we're hoping to find that new entrance into Eden, this new space where we can be under God's good rule, that same spiraling, that same splintering out happens again. Even with the law that God gives, we are helpless. Even with tutors like Moses or an apprenticeship program like under Joshua, they still fail. 
Judges carries with it a, a lesson for all of humanity. They are representative for all of us. We have always been a people of short memories, needing God's rescue again and again. We are a people stuck in the cycle of things getting worse and worse when left on ourselves. A New Testament book that goes alongside well with the book of Judges is Romans. If you read the first few chapters of, of Romans, you'll probably know that Paul has spent some time in the stories of messy people. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul talks about how the law doesn't bring people to save themselves, but it actually multiplies their transgressions. In, in these first chapters, Paul is giving these more kind of philosophical arguments of the breadth and the depth of sin. But if you want to see case studies of that, if you want to see this, what it looks like in a story, and you're not grabbed by those philosophical arguments, read the book of Judges, and you'll see the types of things that Paul is talking about. These, these two books can be read side by side quite nicely, and they give the same basic message that we cannot save ourselves, that we need a Savior, even with these extra helps that God gives. We can look at the world around us and we can see that there is nothing new under the sun. We still live in a world with sin, a world where that spiral continues, where violence brings on more violence. Instead of rest, we feel that restlessness. And if we take the book of Judges on its own, we're, we're left in a pretty bleak place. Uh, the book of Judges is like the first act of a play where, where things seem hopeless and we don't know what's going to happen at the end. But as Christians, we need to read Judges in a bigger context, one that actually points us towards Jesus. We need to see that it takes more than right teaching to show us how to be a good people. We need more than an apprenticeship. We need more than judges. We need more than people that rescue us out of our immediate situations. We need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from the sin and the mess that we are in and to guide us into that true rest. We need someone to guide us into a new promised land. If Judges is a story of Israel failing to live into that rest that they hoped for in the promised land, what we need is a new Joshua. Now, it's no accident that Jesus is, shares this name with Joshua. Uh, Joshua mean God's, means God saves in Hebrew. Uh, Jesus means God saves in Greek. They share the same identity that they are to live into as people that lead them into the rest that they were meant for in creation. Only where Joshua fails in guiding the people into salvation, Jesus delivers. Jesus is the one who enters into the true rest that is found only in him. And by the way, uh, this isn't like a, a novel concept or just something that comes from knowing the, the Greek and the Hebrew. This is straight from the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest 
also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So in that passage in Hebrews, it makes that connection. It talks about the good rest that was meant for in the creation of the world, that ultimately this rest can be found in God, that we are a people who need to find our rest in Christ. Jesus is the answer to all of the problems that we find throughout the book of Judges, and we'll need to keep that in mind as we work our way through in the upcoming weeks. Jesus is the new Joshua, ushering the people into the promised land with eternal life in him. Regarding the law, Jesus promises the rest that cannot be accomplished in following the law, but only found in abiding in him. Regarding the downward spiral, Jesus is the one who ends the cycle of violence and destruction through his work on the cross. In responding to idolatry, Jesus is the image of the true God, the ultimate response to the false images and the idols that Israel constantly turns to. And Jesus is the embodiment of the merciful God, the one who invites us to bring or to come before him with our whole selves, with our mess and all. Jesus is the one who, in Matthew chapter 11, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the question for us is, um, are we weary from the mess around us? Are you burdened from trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders? Are you trying to carry the concerns of Ukraine or injustices that the pandemic has highlighted or concerns about climate change? Are you trying to carry these things on your own? Jesus invites us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe you're tired uh, from trying to carry your own mess, trying to be the perfect person to earn God's grace, trying to sort out your mess before you can fully present yourself before Jesus. The encouragement is to come with your weariness, to come with your burdens. Remember that there is no mess that is too big for God and God's mercy. The same God who heard the cries of the Israelites time and time again is the God who hears us call out. So perhaps today is a day where what we need to do in response is to call out to God, especially if you haven't spoken to God for a while, to speak to him, to listen to what God has to say in prayer. Lastly, allow the messiness around you to direct, to, direct it, to direct you like a compass towards the cross. Allow it to highlight our need for a Savior. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, thank you for the stories of judges um, that rather than give moral examples that we need to follow perfectly, you give us stories of people who don't get it right, that, that you still work through them anyways. As we feel the pressures of the world around us, may we put full confidence in you, that you are sovereign, that you hold all things in your control. We confess that we are too often like Israel. In the midst of the mess around us, we try to take care of it ourselves. We confess that we act in our own selfishness, our greed, and our pride. We all too often are blind from even our own sin and how it impacts others. So we call out to you in need of a God who hears, the only one who can bring true rescue and call us into true rest. May we find that as we abide in you, we find the rest that we long for. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.